neckties. They don't exist anymore, but stay tuned for the Arch Report. Thanks for listening to Rumbletone Radio Agogo. I'll be here next Wednesday afternoon between the hours of 3 and 5 p.m. Don't forget the podcast, CITR.ca. Here's Black Eyes and Neckties. Adios, amigos. When it comes, when it comes, you're going to be the first one the wall! Today on the Arts Report, comedian and social mediaist Donovan Mahoney does a comedy fundraiser for a drug rehab center that saved his life this year. That's LOL at the Rio. After Jerusalem, a dark Christmas comedy is getting glowing reviews. And stop by the M Hotel for a drink and a private dance in a hotel room. Mmm, sounds good. Stay with us. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for December the 7th, 2011. You're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca, as in we are streaming live right now from CITR.ca. My name is Adam Janusz and I've got Anna in the studio here pressing all the buttons. And uh, we were just laughing uh, at the idea of a private dance in a hotel room. Mmm, mm, <laughs> private dance. Well, obviously we're going to have to explain what that means at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to hold off on that as long as we can. Um, yeah, what what does that mean? Get a private dance at a hotel room? That, sa- just, that just sounds sleazy, you say. Well, I say you are wrong. It sounds great. And you'll find out why. It's, it's all very artistic, I assure you. Uh, wow, welcome to, to the show. We've got... Uh, 
Some very exciting things for you this week, including something that's happening tonight at 8 o'clock, and that's LOL at the Rio, and this is a comedy fundraiser for Insight, Insight and Onsite. Insight, Insight, Onsite, Insight, Onsite, I'm just going to repeat that over and over again, but Insight is the uh, safe, uh, the famous, infamous, depending on your political views, uh, safe injection site uh, in the downtown east side, which recently won its Supreme Court case against our conservative federal government to allow it to stay in operation and allow people to um, to bring their drugs to the center and do the drugs there in the safety of uh, of the indoors and the safety of having medical professionals around them and the um, the Supreme Court. Um, said that um, they have every right to do that, and uh, the government has no right to deny them of that right to to do that. So, so uh, we'll hear uh, my interview with uh, Donovan Mahoney, who uh, is putting on this this uh, this great fundraiser. It's his way of giving back because uh, this April he had a relapse, like he went back into drugs earlier this year and, and fell down a deep, dark hole of, of drug addiction. And Insight literally, the people at Insight literally saved his life. And so this is his small, small way of repaying that, that, huge, um, that huge debt. Uh, so, so definitely stay tuned for that because it's a very, very interesting interview. And, you know, it's not necessarily about a, it's not about a play or a, or a film festival or anything, you know, directly. We talk a lot about things that are not directly about art, but, you know, a lot of artists do struggle with all kinds of um, mental things, mental sufferings, and uh, a lot of them turn their mental sufferings into art, right? It, it goes in hand in hand for a lot of artists, so, so I feel no... Um, no problem uh, talking about that kind of stuff today. And, of course, it is connected to a, a comedy night. So let's, let's put that in perspective, too. It's all for the comedy uh, tonight. So, so, yeah, I'm very, looking, uh, very much looking forward to playing that interview. Also, we'll tell you about After Jerusalem, which is uh, a dark Christmas comedy. And it's playing now. It started on Friday. And since it came out, it's been getting some, some great reviews, uh, particularly for the uh, performance of Andrew, Andrew McNee, who uh, plays Vladimir, uh, who plays a Russian-Israeli soldier, and uh, not only did we speak to, not only will we speak to um, Andrew later on in the show, but we even get him to do his accent on, uh, on the show, and that's going to be really hilarious. Um, and also, all right, fine, I'll explain what this M Hotel thing is going on. Battery Opera is doing a show. And uh, it takes place in a hotel room. And so what you do as an audience member, you show up, you buy a drink in the lobby, and then when the time comes, you go upstairs into a hotel room with no more than 10 of your audience member friends, and you get a very, very intimate uh, performance. And some of them, they, they include music, they include uh, dance, they include uh, acting, you know, storytelling. And uh, and it's it's dif- different every time, or almost every time. There's twelve unique stories. So depending on you know which night you go and what time you go, um, you will see a different sort of uh, piece of the puzzle, let's say. And uh, and it all happens inside this hotel room. So it's a it, it turns the hotel room into a theater, um, but obviously a very intimate theater. So that's that's how you can get your private dance in a hotel room legally. <laughs> and we'll talk to. You. <laughs> 
And uh, we'll talk to David McIntosh from uh, Battery Opera to find out to find out all about that. So that's gonna be that's gonna be great. Now, uh, before we get on with the rest of the show, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, something I went to see uh, last week, which was author uh, Chuck Palahniuk. He came to town. Yeah, uh, he came to town last uh, week for the Vancouver International Writers Festival, and he was uh, down at UBC to do a uh, a reading. A book reading, and oddly enough, he came out on stage and, and asked uh, a mostly under thirty crowd, and asked them, uh, "How ma- for how many of you is this the first book reading you've ever been to?" And like eighty percent of the audience put their hand up. <laughs> you know, and he never commented about that again. But it did make me wonder. Like, it seems that Chuck really brings out the youth crowd. Um, you know, it's not. It wasn't your typical stodgy. Well, I don't want to say stodgy, but it wasn't a typical book event where the author just comes out and says, oh, this is my new book. I will read to you and take questions. Um, yeah, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like really anything. For example, uh, we knew that things were not going to go normally when we saw bags and bags of stuff behind his chair on stage. And very soon, we found out that the bags contained candy and chocolate bars. And he proceeded very soon in the, in the beginning to just take out bags of candy and throw it at us. So that was your first hint that it was not going to be a typical book reading. Um, and then what else did he throw at us? Uh, we had a contest of who could blow up um, a giant inflatable brain. So he threw these, uh, these plastic brains <laughs> out into the audience. And the first two people that were able to inflate these brains um, won a prize. What, more candy? Or no, he won, they won books. Yeah, yeah, there were some some uh, books that he loved by other people, and he gave uh, those away. And they were brains, if you're wondering why. They were brains because uh, he, he was calling it the Blow Your Brains Out Tour. That's what he was calling his book tour. So, so he was throwing brains at us, and then later inflatable skeletons. Um, so it was almost like a, I don't know, like a, what, like a circus show? Like a children's party? I don't know what you'd call it. And then, yes, he did do some reading, but notably, he did not read from his his newest book, which I found interesting. Instead, he chose to read a couple of short stories. Uh Yeah, and one of those short stories was called Guts. And uh, I don't know if you know Chuck Palahniuk. He wrote uh, Fight Club, uh, other books like uh, Choke. Of course, Fight Club probably is his most famous thing, and, and arguably that's what brought out half the people there, because when the Q&A time came along, half the people, uh, like, majority of the questions were, uh, did you know that fa- uh, Fight Club was going to be really awesome when you did it? Did, did you know how awesome it would be? Finally, someone, that he was like, okay, I can only take one more question, and, and, and the woman beside me yelled, pick someone who doesn't have a, a Fight Club question, <laughs> which, yeah, which was funny, but... But anyway, if, if you know about Chuck Palahniuk or, or not, he's got this story called Guts, and it has to do with uh, kinks, uh, sexual exploration uh, in, in youth. And, and there are three particular stories about three, three teenage boys and, and the, the, the weird thing that they do to get off. And this story has caused, over the years, when he does them at readings throughout the world, causes people to become violently ill. And uh, case in point, in Victoria, uh, a week before he did, uh, or a few days before he did the Vancouver reading, um, someone passed out uh, after he read the story. A couple of people, he said, yeah, a couple of people passed out. And in fact, in the Vancouver uh, show that I was at, 
he invited the paramedic who came into Vic- in Victoria to come and sit in in Vancouver. <laughs> so anyway, the story got uh, obviously extremely uh, provocative. Um, but here's the thing I wanted to bring up on the show is that when the story was done, he raised his hands and showed them to us, and his there was a like a his hands were trembling. And he pointed out that that still he he's read this he's written the story obviously and he's read it um, thousands of times and yet every time he reads it he still gets shaky and he com- and he he made this point uh, a, a couple of times throughout the night that that's the kind of writing that he aspires to when he writes stories when he writes novels he's looking for something that is gonna that he can feel that he reads back to himself and goes whoa. You know, that makes your heart uh, beat more, that makes you a little anxious, maybe a little bit disturbed, and you look back at your page and you go, holy crap, did I just write that? And, and I found that to be really interesting, you know, I th- and I think that that's something that, that any artist could, could take with them, is that when you're making your art, whether you're writing a book or, or a play or a film, writing a film script, whatever you're doing, is the thing that you're doing, does it make your heart beat a little bit faster? And because that's what Chuck Palahniuk does all the time. And surely it has to be part of his success. Um, I mean, it keeps him happy, if nothing else, because he said, he's like, you know, I'm not interested in success. He said, I didn't make any money off of Fight Club. I got seven grand, you know, and everyone was shocked about that. Uh, I don't think he cares about the money or, or the fame, but I think he really is um, a happy artist because he always does work that freaks him out and freaks us out. And I guess that's why we keep coming back as as readers. So... So yeah, that's one thing that kind of stuck with me about about Chuck Palahniuk last week. And uh, what stuck with me is that I got to take one of those inflatable skeletons home. Yeah, I was very pleased about that. It's in my room now. It's wearing a hat. <laughs> and it's great. All right, let's get on with, uh, with today's show. And we're going to start off with After Jerusalem. Um, it's a dark comedy about a woman from Saskatchewan who goes to Israel for Christmas and meets a strange and intriguing Russian-Israeli soldier. The show has been getting favorable reviews since it opened on Friday, including from the Georgia Straits' Colin Thomas, who was impressed by how obvious it was that the actors were having fun up there on the stage. He singled out actor Andrew McNee as Vladimir, which Thomas described as, quote, a fantastic creation, a man of unabashed appetites, wiliness, and charm. A true Slav, yes, a true Slav, he is full of melancholy, but his is an enthusiastic sadness. So I reached Andrew over the phone while he and his young son, Finn, were having a snack, and we talked about how he created this quote-unquote fantastic creation. But first, I asked him what the show is about underneath the basic plot, and his answer may surprise you. And by the way, uh, you might hear Finn in the background trying to add his two cents. You know what? I think... Um, I kind of think this show is really about... Uh, Hey, buddy. <laughs> there, he, there he is. Uh, I, I feel like this play is kind of about um, uh, outsiders, outsider love. Um, it's, it's, so I, think, I think the way into this show is that, and like part of its popularity, I think, possibly, is that uh, these, these characters, these two characters, are both, uh, they're both people, they're both the other in their own world. One mm-hmm. is, the, uh, is an outsider, literally, she's from Saskatchewan coming to Israel, and the other guy is, is the, the soldier is an outsider as well in his own home. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, they're also, 
they're also, uh, to be honest, liars. And I think, um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think this, you know, all of us feel like, I look, and maybe I'm revealing too much about myself here, but I think all of us kind of at some, on some level feel like frauds. Mm. And, and, um, and there's always that little kernel inside of us that, that's terrified that we're going to be found out that we're either not, uh, not smart or not talented or not worth loving or whatever it is and mm. that we're kind of we feel like we're coasting through this world and one day someone's going to point the finger at us and say you don't deserve these things you have <laughs> and and I think uh, and I think this that's what this is the best I think that's what helps us play connect to a lot of people is that is that um, it, uh, it it speaks to the fraud in all of us wow that's a very Interesting thing you say there, and, and and so that's the sort of, that's the the humanity, I guess, that 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 you guys tap into in the show that that people can, can yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as the Christmas side of it, I mean, I think it's 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 a Christmas show for sure. But but the I think ultimately, and I mean, this is me speaking. This is not sure. Aaron Pushkowski, You know, this is my opinion. But I think ultimately, the Christmas is just the backdrop for the story, and it's and it's a and it's a vehicle. You know, the Christmas is a vehicle for these people to be. Um, Searching, you know. I, I know the holidays. It's a time that brings people together, but it's also a, a time that can highlight people being alone or isolated. I think it's a really, it's a really. I think it's actually a really smart vehicle to use to um, to propel the story forward. To, to have people in a place in a time of year when they're uh, unsatisfied. Right, right. Because Christmas, in a, in a lot of ways, kind of puts um, extra emphasis on you know things like family and, and togetherness. And if you don't you know, connectedness, and if you don't have those things, it's it's a very stark contrast, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Right. Okay, now I have to ask you about your role, because um, Colin Thomas in particular has been uh, very um, celebratory of of your work. Um, for oh. for one thing, he says you're having the time of your life in this show. Do you, do you uh, agree with that? Are, are you having the time of your life up there? Yeah, I, I really am. It's so much fun. <laughs> Uh, it's great. It's you know, it's um, it's really e- it, to be honest, it's really easy to. I mean, Aaron's words are just so easy to work with, and uh, Rachel Peake, the director, is is a, is fantastic to work with. And on top of that, Deb Williams, who's my scene partner, is right. she's uh, she's inc- she's a, a genius. She's incredible. And so it, it's it's if I wasn't having the time of my life out there, there would be something deeply, deeply wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> and and this character, his name is uh, Vladimir, right? That's right. Yeah. And he, it's uh, Colin Thomas says he flirts outrageously with the audience, and he can turn on a dime, taking us down sudden dark corridors of his character's yeah. psyche. Um, yeah. So who who is this guy that you play? Where did you where did you find him? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, a lot of it. I would say a lot of it's in the text. A lot of it's right there in the text already. Yeah. But in terms of filling out the you know filling out the corners and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just it's just having that kind of willingness to go there and you know to 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 take those sharp corners um, emotionally on like an emotional arc, an emotional journey to be to be willing to just go into those uh, make those quick turns and and go to some pretty far places. Uh, and it, and he's a guy who uh, who lives in those extremes. I mean, in fairness, he's he's in fairness to him, he's he's a uh, to justify it. I mean, he's a guy who lives. As a soldier uh, in Israel, um, you know he's been at war the whole time, and it's it's a pretty uh, rough go 
about it. He's, it's, 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 an, it's an easy contrast when it's somebody coming from Regina. In, mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a person from Regina who's like a school teacher who's, who's uh, got a pretty, by global, be considered a pretty cush life. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's, it's easy to, uh, to, to jump into that, you know, to... to um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, it's, it's easy to justify to go into those to those extremes. I think. Yeah. And and you know and I also I mean I my first actually my first job out of uh, out of high school and this is a long time ago was um, as a lifeguard over at the the Jewish Community Center and I was actually surprised uh, at the the amount of um, of uh, Russian Israelis that were there that, that right. hung out at the community center and so I have to admit I'm probably drawing on a bit of that. And uh, and, be, and kind of pulling from some uh, some strange characters I met from back in those days too. Right, and th- this character is quite funny as well. I'm wondering if you could give us uh, a little example of what what uh, what Vladimir sounds like. Uh, well, I tried to. I, okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tried. To, I tried to imagine a, a, a Russian fella. He's from Vladivostok, which is on the on the. East, East uh, Russia, like right on the Pacific. Actually, it's right, like right on the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And um, I tried to imagine a guy, a Russian guy, that had been hanging out with Israelis for like five years. And so, um, <laughs> so okay. So, uh, okay. What should I? What should I? I think it's something to throw out there. Uh, he talks like he's a Russian. Uh, he's typical Russian soldier. But then once in a while, I get all excited about things, and, he's, uh, and he comes up, and I find a video, and he gets into total control, and he has to bring it back down, and, and uh, he gets mostly excited when he's talking about film and about movies, which he's very passionate about. Casablanca, <laughs> for example, Casablanca is the greatest movie ever created. Uh, there's no question. It's because, I tell you why, it's because there is a dilemma, a, a, um, a difficult question involved. This is a film which makes one consider life itself. If you disagree with me, I will debate it with you. No? Okay, good. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> wow, it's, it's, and it's kind of, it's, um, the rhythm is very interesting. He's got a very fast paced thing, but also a very kind of like two-speed, a two-motor <laughs> Thing yeah, yeah, he, he'll slow it down and then he gets going and yeah, it's pretty fun. It's like, he, you know what, I have to say, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun character, to, it's a really fun character to step into every night. I really, I really love this guy. He's fun. Uh, another thing that Colin uh, Thomas says about you, uh, uh, about Vladimir, is that he's a true Slav and the way you portray him. It, <laughs> and I wonder what that is, you know, I'm, I'm Polish, so I guess I'm, I'm a Slav. Yeah. So I'm kind of, yeah. I'm trying to figure out what is this true Slavness. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I, I, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't know if it's like I. I, I does that mean that it's because I'm a brunette? I don't know. I have no clue what he's talking about. Because I, because I have five o'clock shadow. Maybe I don't. Yes. I have no clue. The perennial no, five o'clock he, shadow. Yeah, the perennial. Yeah, it's like I shaved seven minutes ago and I've got the beginnings of the beard. Yeah, ditto. No, I wonder. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's that or if it's. I mean, if it, that he is a, pa- a really passionate guy. Um, I don't know. I truly don't know. I don't know what the hell he's going with that one. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd want to say about uh, After Jerusalem? Um, it's a fantastic show. The team, the whole team, is incredible. Um, it's just a great assembly of 
of, uh, of performance and technical crew. Itai Erdell, uh design is fantastic. He did the set and the, uh, the lights. Malcolm Dow uh, did the sound. A lot of original composition of his. It's go just gorgeous. It's, it's amazing. So it's, just a, it's a wonderful, wonderful hour and 12 or so minutes. And that is Andrew McNee from the show After Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, I have to say he really nailed it. Uh, I, I think he really nailed the, the, the Slav thing. From one Slav to a fake Slav, uh, way to go. Because, um, yeah, it's very authentic. I, yeah, that's, that's all I got to say. Like, when I hear him talk like that, I think of, I think of my own relatives. <laughs> <laughs> when they speak English. <laughs> so, um, good on him. Uh, yeah, so you can see, uh, you can see Andrew play uh, Vladimir, and uh, you can see him do that at uh, Performance Works on Granville Island, and that is playing right now until December the 11th at 8 p.m. Tickets range from 18 to 25 dollars, and you can get those tickets from Vancouver Ticks. Dot com. That's Vancouver, T-I-X, dot com. And that's After Jerusalem getting rave reviews right now at uh, Performance Works. So check it out to 8 p.m. until the 11th. And the 11th is uh, Sunday. It is uh, Sunday, so you can uh, you still have time to see this show before it is uh, finished. So do that. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break on the Arts Report, and we still got lots more show for you, so stay with us. How much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one -on -one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen, and then get riding. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR, 101.9 FM, and streaming online at CITR.ca. We're going to play a little music for you now. Anna, can you tell us uh, what we will be playing? You love putting me on the spot. Yes, I do. You? you just love it. Um, I'm going to play it because it's here, and it's coming up next in the This Quarter Radio Show. Anyways, yep. uh, it's Great Aunt, Aunt Ida, and it's on the new issue. Great oh, Aunt. Aunt, sorry. <laughs> I don't know in Canada it's Aunt or we don't say aunt. aunt. I mean, some people say aunt. <laughs> we have very pretentious people say aunt, but okay. usually we say aunt. Aunt. Okay. Like yeah, the, like the aunt. Like, like the, the little aunt. bug. Okay. Yes. Great. Um, okay, so uh, she features on the new issue of Discorder magazine, and this is from her latest album, Nuclearize Me, and the song is titled Romance. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back. If this place. <laughs> Thank you. 
I've learned a thing or two There is a romance in the after hours Drinking all night with you Walking home under the April showers What's so wrong with my heart? I told it at the evening star But here it goes running off again Before we've had a chance to That was Great Aunt Ida with the track... What's the track, Anna? Romance. What? Romance. Romance. Yes. Something that could happen at the M Hotel. With a private dance. A private dancer. <laughs> if you If you missed... Oh, no, I was going to say if you missed our show earlier, but actually it's still coming. We still are teasing uh, people about what M Hotel is. Uh, M Hotel, uh, we'll tell you about M Hotel later in the show, but that's... Um, it takes place in hotel rooms, so we're making we're being silly about things that can happen in a hotel room, like romance. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> All right, uh, we're back on the Arts Report. It's uh, it's CITR one one point nine FM here in Vancouver, broadcasting to you from the the attic of uh, the Student Union Building at uh, CIT. Oh, sorry, at UBC. And uh, we're also online at CITR.ca. And we're also on uh, things like Twitter and Facebook and even YouTube. Yes, we're even on YouTube. It's where we post some of our best interviews for uh, your viewing pleasure. Well, you know, listening pleasure. But we put up a picture um, that says CITR. And then we put up the interviews, uh, the audio interviews. And, uh, and there's some cool stuff on there with great conversations with some really cool artists that we've done over the last, uh, well, I guess year and a half. Yeah. Um, or so. So check us out. <laughs> Sorry. I'm kind of babbling. I'm like, wait a minute. Have, how long have the YouTube clips been up there since April? So yeah, but the, the, the footage is from a year and a half. Okay. I'm babbling even more now. Um, all right. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we'll tell you about uh, M Hotel uh, from Battery Opera a little bit later in the show. But first, I uh, we, we have something uh, something kind of big for you right now. And um, normally we do an interview, uh, and it lasts somewhere between five minutes and and, and ten minutes. But uh, but the next interview we have for you is uh, is is quite uh, a doozy. It's it's much bigger, and and I wanted to play. To play it in in mostly its entirety, almost its entirety, and um, and uh, yeah, and it's with a fellow named Donovan Donovan Mahoney, and um, we chatted earlier today, and and he is um, not only a a comedian, and um, and like ten other exciting things, like sort of a publicist, fundraiser. Um, like I say, he he does a, lo- a lot of things, but um, but he's also a, a, a recovering drug addict. And uh, was really honest and upfront about his battle with uh, addiction and with drugs. And so I want to share that story with you. Um, the reason, uh, ostensibly, is because there's, a, there's an awesome comedy fundraiser uh, going on tonight at the Rio. Uh, doors are, are uh, at 8. Uh, tickets are $20. And it's a comedy show featuring five comedians, and you'll laugh your head off. And uh, the proceeds will go, uh, I, th- I believe 50%, will go to Insight, which is a safe injection site on the downtown, in the downtown east side, which has been recently been fighting for its life, <laughs> ironically, uh, as it's saving drug addicts' lives. It is also fighting for its own life um, from the federal government. So, so it's a really great cause. And uh, and there will be a lot of laughs, um, but uh, we didn't necessarily focus on on haha funny things in our interview. But we did talk about some really really great things. So I did want to share this interview with you. So um, uh, to begin, I wanted to start with um, a little bit uh, with a little bit about uh, Donovan himself. So he's a he's a comedian, um, I guess first and foremost. But a few years ago, he he took a course at Langara to learn about publicity and, and marketing. Um, back then, he didn't even have a computer, but now social media and Donovan Mahoney are a match made in heaven. He's got, for example, over 2,600 followers on Twitter, and he, he's all over Facebook. And, well, he's a very multi-talented person, um, hard to define. So let's uh, give him a chance to define himself. So, like, my my bio says that I'm a comedian, promoter, sometimes fundraiser. <laughs> I like connecting the dots. That's it. You know what I mean? Cool. And um, so, for me, the social media thing is, like, um, you know, like, I'm working in it now. 
I do, I run Chronic Tacos, social media marketing, I'm building their strategy, and kind of my philosophy around social media is that it has to be transferable in a real life. You know, like, if I don't go out and meet people that I meet on t- Twitter or Facebook, then it's useless. Hmm. Like, people need that handshake still. People <clears throat> still need to have that, like, that warmth of that connection. Like, I know you. So, you know, so the social media... Show up. Sorry, so the social media is not uh, a substitute for, for human interaction. It's just sort of a, maybe a bridge or, or just one tool in the toolbox. You still have to make that handshake and that eye contact? Absolutely. You know, like, if you look at, you know, I think two of the biggest bloggers in the city right now, uh, Van City Buzz, Mystic So Four, um, and you follow Mystic So Four, you'll see that she always is going out to all these different events. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like she's staying home and, like, doing this in her house. Same <laughs> with Van City Buzz. He's doing his own events. He's, like, he's super personable, interactive on Twitter with people. I mean, when I reached out to that guy, he's now, like, one of my best buds. You know, like, or oh, that's a little bit far-fetched. We're, <laughs> we're good friends. You know, I know he has a kid. I got I got his kid, Jordan's, and... um but like the thing is, is 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 when I reached out to that guy and I said, "Hey, I want to meet you in real life," and he was like, "It's going to cost you two hundred bucks." I was like, "Okay, whatever." He must be brown. Um, <laughs> turns out he is. <laughs> so so it was cool. Like you know, we met, and um, but that's the thing about this is it is is that it can't just be like hiding behind a handle, and you'll see that those people get so far in life, like online that you can do a certain amount of stuff, but people still need that, like that next thing. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's just person accessible. All right. And there's uh, there's Donovan, uh, talking about, um, one of his passions and that's, uh, social media. And I really wanted to play that clip, uh, because it, it's so fascinating to, to know that it does still come down to the, the human connection because there's a lot being made nowadays in the zeitgeist about, you know, social media is so big, Facebook is, is taking over, you know, real humanity, our humanity is being uh, digitized through things like Twitter and Facebook, oh my God, what's happening? But, you know, as Donovan tells us there, it's still, uh, th- there is no substitute for, for the human connection and, and humanity. Humanity uh, persists, and, and these things like, like Twitter are not something that's going to replace us as human beings, but it'll be a tool for us as humans to communicate with each other. And at the end of the day, it still matters when you shake someone's hand, look them face-to-face, and, and make that real personal connection there just isn't a substitute so so all you want to be promoters uh, who have um, 10,000 friends on Facebook but have only met like 10 of them um, take heed of that advice and uh, go out there and meet people that's what I would say anyway uh, so okay so there's a little bit about uh, what the stuff Donovan does now he, he's uh, he's also uh, as I've mentioned a dozen times, he's also a comedian and he does a regular comedy night called LOL At. And tonight's show is LOL At The Rio. And uh, that will feature comedians such as Michelle Shaughnessy, Sean Emini, Andrew Barber. And uh, 50% of the proceeds will go to uh, to Insight. So, and and I do understand, looking at Twitter, uh-huh, that uh, tickets will still be available. Doors 8.30 p.m. is what it says here. And, uh, yeah, tickets $20, and they are still available at the door. So, 
Now, uh, when I spoke to, to Donovan, I, I asked him, why, why Insight? Why Insight and Onsight? Insight, by the way, uh, is where you can shoot up and, and do drugs in a safe environment with professionals where they basically they watch over you and prevent you from dying. To put it simply, they prevent you from overdosing. Or sorry, if you do overdose, they are there there to step in. And then on-site is upstairs, and on-site is basically a recovery center. So if you're downstairs and you come every day to shoot up, if you are ready, then if you are ready to to kick the habit and you say yes, I want to get off drugs, you all you have to do is go upstairs. Literally, all you have to do is go upstairs, and that's. Um, that's a huge benefit, you know, because it makes it possible to go, um, you know, step to step back back into the real world. So, so here's uh, part one uh, of of my conversation with Donovan about um, his experience with drugs, and um, basically, uh, I asked him. Oh, this basically it starts with him telling us about uh, what happened to him earlier this year. I've been clean for. Um four and a half years mm-hmm. and uh in um in april this year i i relapsed and uh and i went out for five months and um and i walked away from everything like i didn't it wasn't it wasn't like you know i had a rough night with shake doobies and and drinking near beers or something like mm-hmm. i was sitting in my house kind of like around midnight and I was having some relationship issues or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I rolled my bike down to Hastings and I picked up and, um, you know, like I, I visited the safe injection site like anywhere from, you know, 10 to 30 times a day for five months and I ended up homeless for that period of time. And the one thing that happened when I was down there is, you know, things start to become pretty real, like when you can't stop. Right. And, um, and there's some really incredible people downtown East side that are, that would see me and that knew me outside of using, like they hadn't seen me down there in years. And, and people had heard that I started doing some substantial things with my life. And, um, you know, when I was cruising through the safe injection site or stumbling through there, you know, sleep deprived, malnutrition and right out of my head, um, these people were like slapping hugs on me, you know, shaking my hand and saying like, Hey, you know what? It's going to get better. One of these days, like, you know, and when you're ready, you'll stop. And nobody tried to like, um, coerce you or force you into it forced me to get clean, like, right. and, and there was a lot of sad times down there because, you know, the part of the thing is, is when you have moments of clarity and you see your life or really what's going on, and that's that, you know, like, my life, I'm burning it down, and and I can't stop, right. you know, that my friends are going on with their lives, they're cutting hair, they're marketing, they're going on trips around the world and stuff, and 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 I can't get off the four block radius. And the people that became my friends are the people at the safe injection site. Right. And um, so and when I you, say, you know, like, well, huh? Sorry. So so when you were in that in that place where you can see that you don't want to be there, but but you're stuck and you're seeing everybody else sort of going on. What finally got you sort of back into the real world? Like, what 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 happened that that 
got you out of that sort of downward spiral? Uh, jail. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the truth of it is, man, is when I pick up, I can't stop. Mm-hmm. I can't, there's no like sort of, if there's a door to walk out, like I'm going to go. Right. And, um, that's kind of the way I use. And I, you know, I think August 15th or 16th or something, I got picked up for some petty crime or something like that. And, um, not or something like that. Hear me minimize. Like, I just want to play it down. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, I I got busted for some shit sucking crime. And, um, I, I just didn't want to, I, I mean, I, I, stop the door is locked now i can't get out and uh, a lawyer who's a good friend of mine and had heard that i'd relapsed came down and he saw me and um and he told me he said you know we're not going for bail and uh you're gonna go spin out in north fraser pre-trial and get clean and once you get some days under your belt you can call me and we can start to make a plan of action and um and when you say spin out do you mean um like uh withdrawal like spin draw yeah yeah, yeah. like yeah, withdraw yeah and i mean so steve he's a good friend of mine and he he said to me you know like i'm doing this on my own time so if you don't want me to help you get out of jail and get you back on track find someone else and um and i think it was just kind of that thing you know like that first initial when everything is stopped like when that grind, you have a second, you, you don't have a choice. There's no more struggle. It's just you have to give up. Like you kind of have to just be like, yeah, okay. Right. And then recognizing that there's a whole bunch of people out there, like for me anyways, that a lot of people cared about me, right? They were waiting for me to get clean and stop trying to kill myself. So, so it, is that when you went into the, the detox and recovery on site? Well, yeah. I mean, when we went for bail, basically, my lawyer told me, he said, you know, um, I'm going to make your bail conditions really tough. They didn't have to be. Like, you know, Steve did that on my behalf to kind of give me some really tight um, guidelines to live by Mm -hmm. um, or there would be heavy consequences. And and so I was like, sure, whatever, man. He said, so this is what's going to happen. You go from here to detox, to treatment. And that's non-negotiable. I'm doing this again on my time. What are you going to do? And, um, you know, like I've been hooked in the recovery community a long time. So I made some calls and uh, I first went to uh, Harbor Light Detox on Cordova. And um, from there, like I still needed more time mm-hmm. to detox. And... uh and uh, Salvation Army Harvard Light was kind of like, it's time for you to move on. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to do something else. And um, so I called the people that have been there since the beginning. And I said, you know, I need a place. Like, A, I don't want to go back to jail. B, I'm not done detoxing. And C, like, I wouldn't mind being around people that I know and I already have a relationship with from before, you know. Mm-hmm. Getting clean is one of the hardest things. Like, I can't begin to tell you what that's like. And, um, the weird side of it is that it goes against everything that people think, right? Like you're going to get clean where you were shooting dope. Right. 
right? Like I, that's where I got clean. I got clean above the safe injection site. Well, that's the I thing, right? Off. With with onsite, uh, sorry, with insight is people think, you know, how does this make sense? You're you're allowing a place for people to do drugs. That's wrong. We should we should take away the drugs, not not allow them a place to do it. And then with onsite, yeah, like you say, you know, it's it's right in the thick of things where people are doing drugs. How is that going to to bring about recovery? But in your case, it, it worked and it helped you and it <clears> kept you kept you safe. Yeah, you know what? And I think the thing that I've come to realize through this, there's a bunch of different things that um, seem to be true to me. A, I don't have a choice when that opportunity comes up for me that I'm ready to quit using. So, you know, in real life today, like my mindset would be that the safe injection site needs to be open 24 hours a day because you don't know when you're going to be ready to quit. Right. That's what the safe injections there. That site is there to help you get to a place, well, to keep you alive, A, uh, from killing yourself. Right. And then B, when you're ready to make that next move, they have that in place for you to be like, you know what, you're ready to go right now, let's do it. Because mm-hmm. we understand the importance that, like cancer, it's not 9 to 5. Addiction isn't something that happens Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and there's lunch breaks. Addiction happens 24-7, and, and, and as a society or as a thing, we need to be able to jump on that now. So, so you mean and having it up, upstairs, literally, it, you know, is really helpful because you can, you can do that right there and then. Yeah, and, you know, partially with the detox, like, you're, for the detox there, in any detox, actually, you're restricted to where you are. Mm-hmm. And um, on the second floor... The thing that makes that much more manageable as opposed to Vancouver Detox, Cordova Detox, which I don't know what their budget's like or what kind of money, you get your own room. Mm-hmm. And you have your own shower and your own bathroom. So when you're like detoxing, it's it's like you're a wounded animal. Mm-hmm. You don't want people to see you going through this, man, like shitting and puking and, and, and crying and sweating and not sleeping and... Um, it's it's a horrible experience. So, so the part where you already know the people that you're going to detox with, right? Like the people that are downstairs work upstairs. Yeah. I know some of the staff. I feel safe around them. I know and understand that they have the best interest. Although your mind says that everybody's out to get you, mm-hmm. you sort of you can grasp that. Like you're like, no, wait a sec. Like these people are doing this. They're here for my benefit. They've chosen a job. To help me. Okay, and um, there we go. Uh, and that's um, Donovan um, speaking about his experience. And we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to tell you more. Um, we'll give you part two of my interview with uh, Donovan Mahoney. And in, in part two, we will go into. Um, more of um, of uh, talk a little bit more about the personal connection, and uh, specifically uh, when we come back, we're talking about um, sort of repaying the debt almost of having your life saved and how you how you do that. So so stay with us. We'll be right back.
The music says it all, but we'd like to say it again. Thank you, from all of us at CITR, for your generous support during our 2011 fund drive. We just couldn't do it without you. You made a million dreams come true, and so I'm saying thank a million to you. That's a nice tune. Uh, we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Uh, we're speaking to Donovan Mahoney, who's putting on LOL at the Rio tonight, Wednesday, December 7th at uh, 8, uh, 8.30 p.m. tonight. Uh, the Rio is 1660 East uh, Broadway, and it's going to feature five hilarious stand-ups and one great cause, and that's the on-site detox and recovery center in the downtown east side. So uh, we played uh, the first half of, of uh, my uh, conversation with Donovan, and uh, now we'd like to uh, play part two, and uh, I think we'll just get right into it. I've been clean for um, four and a half years, mm-hmm. and uh, in, um, in April this year, I, I relapsed, and, uh, and I went out for... Sorry, that is not the correct clip. Uh, my mistake. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, find the right one for you. Sorry about that. Uh, we'll be right back uh, on the Arts Report, uh, CITR 101.9 FM. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Commercial Drive area at Audio Pile, Bone Rattle Music, High Life Records, and the People's Co-op Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Liveband.com is Vancouver's community-driven concert calendar. New shows are added daily by the city's most active promoters, musicians, and by the driving force of the music scene, the fans. LiveVan.com's listings are different because they are integrated with profiles updated by bands and business owners as they promote upcoming events. Check out the archives to see how closely we've worked within the community to put on the shows you love. Visit LiveMusicVancouver.com for the latest independent and major label event listings. LiveVan.com, Vancouver's community-driven concert calendar. The alphabet has only 26 letters. With these 26 magic symbols, however, millions of words are written every day. Pick up your winter issue of Discorder, as the Jansember issue is packed with goodies that will warm even the coldest of cockles. Take a dip with Dixie's Death Pool, a spacey art rock collective, or read up on local outsider pop music makers, World Club. Cozy up on the couch with Filmstripped, featuring a review of Color Me Obsessed, a documentary on the replacements. And in case you missed the memo, 2012 is almost here. Check out the Discorder album picks of 2011. Don't forget to pick up your special Jansember issue of Discorder. Okay, we're back on the Arts Report. Sorry about that. We've got the right clip uh, for you now. Uh, this is uh, Donovan Mahoney, part two of uh, my interview with him. And uh, in, in this part... Um, 
Donovan gets uh, emotional um, about uh, his gratitude toward the people um, who saved his life. Right, and you have the the trust, and and you have that face to face contact, kind of like the social media thing, you know. Again, where it, it makes such a big difference to have that sort of personal connection. Absolutely, right. You know, I I think with anything like there's no <clears throat> people are going to try to medicate and try to do all sorts of things to substitute human interaction, but at the end of the day, you know, it's. There is no substitute. (laughs) Pardon me? There's no substitute. Yeah, there's no substitute um, for, for, yeah, like for your greens. Like, you just have to eat your greens, basically. (laughs) And that's what it's uh, the human interaction component. Like, I, you know, I'm not on the phone with you today talking because I'm super awesome and I'm really great. Like, yeah, I have potential to be great and, and do really good things. But the reality is, is that there's like there's been a team of people that have rallied behind me and just said, you know what? Like you can do whatever you want to do and we're going to be here and we accept you for exactly who you are and understand that, you know what? Addiction happens, right? Yeah. Like anybody that thinks right now that thinks that people in the downtown East side shooting dope, smoking crack, um, because they think like on a Wednesday afternoon that it's a good idea. Like, Hey, Adam, you know what, man? It's near three o'clock. What do you think? We should go pick up some heroin. And, you know, <laughs> that's what the deal. You know, you have to get to the darkest place in, in your life where you think that that's a good idea. Right. Like, it takes an, ex- like, for me, anyways, it's an emotional pain that I feel that makes me pick up. Right. And like, it's, it's that, when you're at your lowest, lowest point that it happens. It's not something that's, that's like a conscious choice, but something that, that sort of uh, appears at your darkest moment. Yeah. Well, have you ever been in a room and there's been like 100, 200 people and then you feel like you're alone? Hmm. Have you ever felt alone when you're around even 10, 20 people? Right. Now, for me, when that happens, that's pretty dark, man. That means like, I, I feel like I can't talk anymore. You know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I feel disconnected from the world. I feel different. I feel like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the idea around, <clears throat> you know, to kind of touch the surface of something even darker, which is people committing suicide and stuff like that. Well, that's what drug addiction is. It's, it's kind of the way of saying like, I don't want to live anymore, but a, I don't know how to find a gun. Getting bullets for the gun seems crazy to me. And then how am I going to pull? It's going to take too long. Right. Right. To get all that shit together. It's so messy to blow your brains out. Like that's, Oh, like, you know, <laughs> go downtown and shoot up. Like, I mean, that's really dark and, and kind of, but that's the truth of it. Right. It's, it's funny, but it's not right. Like right. it's, it's very, you know, cause honestly, like at the end there, before I got loaded, that's what it was kind of like for me. I was like, how come it's so hard to get a gun in this town? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and I ended up picking up. Right. And, and it's because, yeah, I just, I need to stop feeling. Right. I need to not feel that pain anymore. You yeah. know? And so, so, 
so the inside and the outside and the people there, like you say, that you know, there's a team of people sort of behind you, um, and and they they helped you get out of that place. And so so now is it a matter of sort of giving back? Is that is that why you're doing this? Yeah, I mean, I continue to be involved with these people, like on a on an every other day basis, right? Like, I don't think, you know, I don't think it's it's possible to to like repay the debt to like these people for what they've done you know for my girlfriend for my family for my friends like right it's priceless yeah hmm. you know that was kind of the place where people like my family couldn't find me they were calling them and saying like hey where's my kid and um so like yeah i get emotional around it because it's so real like i did a cbc thing with them about a month ago when that decision came down right about insight uh basically getting the the constitutional right to exist yeah exactly and um and that's really like one of the things where it kind of came really clear to me like what was going on um darwin <clears throat> one of the guys that's a manager down there kind of saying he said, uh, are you, are you available to, would you be interested in doing this for us? Like, you know, you're kind of putting yourself out there on radio and on national television. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And he goes, do you want to know how many times you OD here? And, uh, sure. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and, um, and I OD'd about like over like five times there, you know, like, so that's basically like five cracks of life again you get. And right. like, I didn't know it. I don't ever remember like ODing there or anything. Sure. And they, and they probably don't, you know, remind you of it. Right. They just, they just do. No, and it's do. not like, <laughs> it's not like you're like, Hey, listen, man, you owe us. We got, <laughs> don't you remember we saved your life? Like, yeah. Those come on, five man. Times, yeah. We heard you got a good job again. Like we need some kickbacks here. We saved your life. Like, nobody's knocking on my door um, and trying to get payback here, you know. But but the other thing is, is um, in my recovery and part of what I want to do this time around is, um, you know, I want to continue to do what I do, which is stand-up comedy. And, uh, and if I can do something for these people that inspires the people that are inside of there shed some light on what's really kind of going on here like if somebody because you know what today what's the seventh so today i'm 111 days clean and sober from you know being homeless for five months mm -hmm. today you know i have a i live up in dunbar in a three bed in a five bedroom house with three of my two of my best friends you know I'm working back, working, doing marketing. Um, my relationship's back intact with my girlfriend. Um, you know, this stuff wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for people that put themselves in horrendous conditions, hmm. you know? And it allowed me to kind of get back to life and be like, hey, you know what? Like, life is worth living. Like, I have something to offer, um, you know, by 
just doing me, yeah, which is doing the best me that I can, is more than enough for the world. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing where people are like, "Holy shit!" Like, really? This guy was shooting dope like 110 days ago. You know, I was downtown East Side like a few days ago, and I bumped into a cop that I know down there. <laughs> right. And I ran up to him, and I was like, "Hey, man!" And he was like, "Hey, he's like every time I see you, you keep looking better and better." And I was like. Imagine that, eh? Kick heroin and get a house. I <laughs> 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 think, and uh, and you know, we had kind of a good laugh. And he said, um, um, "You know, I just kind of said, hey, thanks for always looking out for me, right?" And uh, and they asked him. I said, "You know, I'd love it if you came to my show on Wednesday." But you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's these people that are out there were were busy pointing fingers and saying, "Oh, it doesn't doesn't." like shit they're giving people dope or or doing whatever yeah. no they're not they're keeping people alive long enough that hey you know what if a chance does if there's two parts to that right yeah. if the chance comes up they can get clean that we're there and available for them to go on and do something and you know on monday my twitter account was trending in canada about this about this event hmm. so does it matter that I got clean? I guess so. You know, <laughs> like I was top of trends map in Canada and whether or not people come to this show or not, doesn't really matter. You know, like it's cool. Like, yeah, people are going to come. There's going to be over a hundred people there for sure. Um, but the thing is, is that one person that, that impact that you have on the people in your community around you is huge. And it's not just inspiring to people that are drug addicts. It's inspiring to people that aren't drug addicts too. You know, it's something that I've had a, I had a really weird thing to like get my head around. Can I be inspiring? Can I even say that I'm inspiring without sounding like a dick? (laughs) And yeah, I can. Cause like what I'm doing is it, it, it's beyond my belief. But what I can, what a tangible thing that I can put my finger on is that these people in the downtown east side reached out, gave me a chance, and, you know, the rest is kind of up to me, you know, what I'm going to do. And, and my thing is, is, you know, why not have a big life, right? Yeah. Like, if you're going to do it, like, if my life is anything like just mediocre, well, I might as well get loaded and call it quits. You know, like, why not do it up as big as I can and live my life like it's on an open book with some integrity so people can't say shitty things about me because I've already said it about myself. And <laughs> and then we can kind of we can kind of move forward and do some great things. Right. Right. There's uh, Donovan Mahoney there. Um, what a pleasure it was to speak to him today. Um, not a lot of dry eyes in our studio right now <laughs> from that story. Um, but um, there will also be a lack of dry eyes tonight, but from laughter. How's that for a segue? Um, because um, despite the, the, the serious and um, somewhat profound nature of what we just talked about, tonight it's going to be all comedy. All comedy um, for a, a profound and important cause, but... Um, but all laughs all the way, and that's um, that's LOL at the Rio, and that's happening tonight uh, at eight uh, eight or eight thirty, approximately there at the Rio Theater, and that's sixteen sixty East Broadway, 
and uh, tickets are $20 and you can get them at the door. So check that out tonight. And um, Donovan mentioned um, trending on Twitter there, so we want to share his Twitter account with you. And you can just go to twitter.com slash Donovan P, as in Donovan P-E-E. Um, so check that out. He's also on Facebook, and that's Donovan P, again, the P-E-E, dot com, dot com spelled out, D-O-T-C-O-M, Donovan P dot com. So uh, check him out on social media there. So uh, it's 610. How did that happen? We are way over time. We're in, we need a new thing. Anna, uh, <clears throat> Anna's a little upset. Anna's from Discord <laughs> Radio at 6 o'clock. We've, uh, we've stolen a bit of your time. Sorry. Yeah, this is for all the volunteers out there. This is what happens when you uh, collaborate in two radio shows that are actually back to back. Don't do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> one show will eat the other. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So we are into into overtime. We need new theme music to go uh, into Arts Report Overtime. <laughs> overtime. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, because that's where we are now. Uh, overtime. Uh, just like last week, this is a disturbing trend. Uh, that's now two weeks in a row that we've gone over six o'clock. Uh, and, and Anna, a host of Discord Radio, is very graciously giving up a little bit more time so we can tell you about M Hotel. Is yes. that right? Anna? That's right. That's very and gracious yeah, and we'll kind of you. We'll figure it out when one day I'll Discord Radio will eat the Arts Report. Ooh. Yummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, in the interest of time, we'll just get right into it and tell you about M Hotel. Battery Opera has... An established reputation for risk-taking, something we wholeheartedly endorse at the Arts Report. Their latest work is called M Hotel, which incorporates dance, music, and narrative, all inside a tiny hotel room at the Holiday Inn, playing to audiences of no more than ten, and sometimes as little as one. Some have called the storytelling disjointed. There are 12 unique pieces, only two of which you can see at a time. But, as Battery Opera's David McIntosh tells us, the point isn't for us... uh, for us in the audience to just receive a nicely packaged story. Nope. The purpose is to stimulate us, heighten our senses, awaken um, our awareness. Uh, here's uh, David to say it better than I can. Is, uh, just just have those things uh, resonate in, in that space with the hotel room, which has seen like, you know, thousands of people uh, uh, pass through it in, in really private moments, some really banal or some dramatic, whatever. But that space is uh, is kind of redolent of all those all those memories of of other people's bodies in that space. So, I mean, what's interesting for me is uh, is just trying to uh, create a situation where where some of those things might resonate in the bodies of the audience and uh, and to have that be really the content. So how they put it together with their own experience or what just what they feel in their body uh, by being in the in a hotel room. And and why did you want to do that? Why did you want to sort of put the emphasis on the audience member, which usually you know sits in the dark and watches the action on the stage? Why why did you want to sort of turn the spotlights uh, on them? Yeah, it's not so much about turning the spotlights on because we're not sitting there and uh, demanding that you <laughs> you perform. <laughs> but it, it it's uh, I think in general actually there's. You can purchase art as a commodity. You can purchase anything as a commodity and just sit back and watch it. But I'm not sure if it's really an experience. Uh, you know how much of an engagement that is. So I'm. I think that more interesting to me is when when actually your own body, the audience's body, becomes the site of the performance. So whether you you know you go see a show, or you're listening to music, or 
you're looking at art and if you feel like something inside you, like you, you're, it resonates, you're having some kind of reaction or it, it's uh, triggering some other um, discussion or memory, that's, that's where I think that performance takes place. Because um, that's interesting to me. It's yeah. more interesting than, than me telling you what I think and, uh, and trying to you know, wrap it up in a neat, cute parcel. <laughs> right. That's boring. Uh, right, you say that that's boring, and I wonder if there's also. Do you feel that that is maybe necessary in a in an entertainment context where people can see uh, movies in 3D and surf the web all the time and and get you know all kinds of um, stimulation, but not necessarily uh, live interactive um, stimulation? Does, is that is that a factor? The fact that you're you're kind of competing with all these other uh, abilities to to receive, um, you know, culture and entertainment. That that does it is it kind of maybe necessary in a way to, I don't know, uh, rile people up uh, a little bit live. To what people up live? <laughs> rile people up, like to to get, I don't know, maybe maybe a live performance can provide something that um, that other forms cannot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, I think it can, but I, I wouldn't put it uh, in terms of like a competition against other forms of entertainment because I think even in, in you know, cinemas or movies, uh, I mean, the ideal is that, is that what's happening is, is still taking place in the body of the of the audience, unless it's a pre-packaged uh, blockbuster and you already know what you're going to get, so you're, you just consume it uh-huh. um, mindlessly, but I guess I, I like having uh, site-specific uh, work or, or just a little bit a little bit more difficulty for the audience to uh, to find the work, like outside of a theater, because that initiates, uh, I guess, an adventure from the audience uh, perspective right away. Like they're going to come to a hotel and meet me in a lobby bar. It's a little bit different. So they're taking a they're taking a small risk because mm-hmm. it's not a, a standardized um, presentation or or in, in a like a standardized box uh, like a theater or something like that. So that willingness to uh, to engage with something a little bit mysterious already that's uh, it puts you in an active uh, mindset. So you're you're um, you're open to more possibilities, I think. And you're for me that you're uh, that's a more interesting audience as well. Hmm. Now your work uh, has in the Courier was called Fearless Iconoclasm with a social political twist. What do you think of that? <laughs> Sure, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> but I do want to ask about uh, this this idea of of fearlessness. Uh, is that important to to battery opera? I think so, I, and I think that uh, I think often in life we're we're afraid of uh, offending other people, afraid of harming. Uh, possibly the form within which we work. Right. So we, there's a lot of fear in the world. So mm-hmm. so we, I think we subconsciously or, or actually consciously take on that fear, and we end up um, kind of suppressing what what we might do, or or making work in reaction to fear. So that is a, yeah, that's something I think we both, Sufi and I, try to be aware of. Hmm. Uh, it can be a it can be a fine line because you don't want to be always in reaction to fear, but right. But, <laughs> yeah, but trying not to allow uh, 
the questions you're working with and where they go to to be to be uh, contained or contaminated by the general fear of uh, of a sector or a, a form or or of yourself. So, you know, following through with the work. I I also see that happen a lot in the Vancouver arts community. In some of the the pieces of work that I see, is is I almost feel like there is a fear to fear of I don't know what, but um, but I don't always get the impression that that the work I'm seeing in town is is fearless or or even brave, but often kind of conventional. Do you have do do you, do you see do you have an opinion on that? Are you are you guys just completely on an independent track, or is there a bit of a a reaction sort of aspect to your work where you want to, I don't know, maybe encourage your peers uh, in the arts community to, to be a little more fearless? Um, I think so. It's, it's, and it's, sure. Yeah, I'll say sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's actually quite, um, it's quite insidious because whenever you engage in any kind of, engage in any um, kind of structure, uh, all those structures uh, you know, with the best of intentions, will offload their fear onto you. So, you know, I guess looking back on over making work of 15 years or whatever, or 20 years, there's there's been, um, I realize that there has been times in the past where it has changed the way I was going with my work because I didn't, you know, I felt the fear of a presenter or a fear of, a, say, a funding body. Mm-hmm. So you end up, you end up, Inevitably getting caught in these discussions, uh, and nobody, you know, nobody tells you don't rock the boat or don't um, don't screw this up for everybody. But you feel <laughs> that, so you, it's a very hard thing to to consciously resist. Um, but, but you do sometimes. Yeah, you try. <laughs> you try. And then, and then sometimes, like there's ideas of values, like when people have um, you know good intention values to to address things like. Uh, uh, you know, making a supporting the community, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, engaging people. Mm-hmm. That also, it's very easy for that also a community to also be to become self-censoring, right? Uh, and it's so because you want to establish a community of any kind, and then you start to feel like you you have to not only be inclusive but but not be too controversial and not screw it up for the community. So that can. Uh, and even not be an individual, like hide uh, hide your individuality in, in, in this idea of, of communal creation and communal experience of, of art or whatever. So, so yeah, so <laughs> so it, it can be uh, that can happen. But it, it, and it doesn't necessarily lead to good things, though, does it? To do that kind of thing, like self censorship, or you know, or, or just to let the fear win. It, uh, it doesn't always produce the best art, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> or or produce yeah, or it produces a specific you know, then it, the art is actually uh doing something else. Like if its mm-hmm. specific intention is, is to build a community. And then the, you know, then the crazy thing is like you can't from my perspective, we live in a community, you can't not live in a community. So the to build a community is actually to exclude is actually quite exclusive because you're you're building a smaller cell. Right. For, by its by its uh, very know, nature. It's Yeah. So I mean you walk up the or your house, you're in a community, whether you like it or not. Right. That's the scary part too. Right? Like the actual, that's the actual. As an individual, you have to engage with the, the larger community. Yeah. It's not necessarily supportive. 
All right, and that's David McIntosh telling us about M Hotel. So um, you're listening to the uh, overtime edition of the Arts Report, uh, not quite Discorder Radio. Um, and uh, yes, M Hotel is is on uh, now until when? Sorry, uh, until December the 10th. There it is in front of me, and it's at the Holiday Inn, which is 1110 Howe Street. Um, so that's playing right now until December the 10th, and you can uh, get there. It starts at 6 p.m. and to continuously until 10 p.m. So you can show up, um, yeah, show up for a drink at the Holiday Inn somewhere between 6 and 10 p.m., and you will get in to see uh, a portion of uh, M Hotel. And you can also get uh, tickets from TicketsTonight.ca or simply at the door. And I believe David will be there in the lobby to greet you. So check that out. That's M Hotel from Battery Opera. All right, so we've reached the end of our program, finally, our sprawling hour-and-a-half edition of the Arts Report. Uh, thanks again to Anna for graciously donating Arts Report, to- or, um, uh, you know, that other show, Discord. <laughs> Discord. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't, do, you no. can't forget the name of the show. You're you can't do that. <laughs> Sorry, I just did. At least promoted. Oh, yeah, Discord Radio will be back next week. Yes. Um, and uh, back with r- regular awesomeness, such as? Such as a particular playlist of the December issue that just came out. And if you don't have one, get one now. It's everywhere. And Ooh. it's, uh, yeah. Pretty. Touch it. Touch it. Oh, it's <laughs> smooth. And this is the, what's on the cover? Dixie's Death Pool. Yes. And we're going to say goodbye. We're going to play a song from him. Ooh, very nice. So his name, that's his, uh, that's the moniker for, um, his name is Lee. You are good with pronunciation. Yes. Here. What's his name? Let's see here. Lee Hatsulak. Hatsulak. Oh, that really not boring. not as exotic as no. you were hoping? No. Okay. Hey, before we play uh, that song, can I quickly say... <laughs> see, there you go again. Stepping <laughs> all over me. Stealing the show. <laughs> Can't help it. I'm a hog. Um, Penny Plain, which is playing at the Colch right now, has just broken the Colch's uh, record. Uh, the Culture's been around for 38 years, and the most popular show ever at the Culture has been another Ronnie Burkett show, uh, which was called Billy Twinkle, and now uh, the record has been broken, and the most popular show at the Culture ever is Penny Plain. Woo-hoo! Yes, to date, over 4,000 patrons have enjoyed the latest work uh, for a 200-seat theatre. This is a capacity-busting record, leading to the busiest month ever at the Culture. And audiences um, have been raving. So that's playing until December the 17th. And uh, that means not a lot of performances left. So tickets are $45 for that. And they're available from tickets.thecultch.com. So check out Ronnie Burkett's um, marionette production called Penny Plane right now. Okay, over to you, Anna. Oh, great. Um you're done? Are you sure? No, I'm not. Uh, no. <laughs> join, <Anyways>. us. <laughs> join us next Wednesday for another Arts Report. That's Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Uh, next week we're going to do our Christmas special. And uh, uh, my name is Adam, and Anna has been in here with in studio with me. And uh, thanks for listening. Okay, now it's yours. Okay, now it's the five minutes of this quarter radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we'll say goodbye with a track from Dixie's Death Pool. And um, so... Check out the album. I think it's a matter of taste. It's really interesting. and uh, It's a matter of taste? It's a matter of taste. What is that supposed to mean? Well, if you like to sit down and listen to an album, it's experimentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So he makes uh, instruments out of like uh, pans oh. and things like that. So there's a lot of. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a matter of you know. It's it's unique. You'll listen to the next song that we'll be playing. Okay. Um, but yeah, so there's uh, there's a build up of sounds in every song, and uh, so yeah, it's a very interesting album. Check it out. It's called the man who oh the man with flowering hands, and I'm gonna play track number two. And it's titled A Return to Science Fiction. And in the interview, you can find it in uh, the Discorder radio, I mean, Discorder magazine issue. Uh, he says, this song was actually improvised on the spot mm. with all the instruments. And then they added sounds to it afterwards. Cool. So here it is. And uh, yeah, until next time, they will be, there will be another Discorder <laughs> radio Someday. show. Someday. Someday. Yeah, possibly next week. Um, just tune in. There's going to be Arts Reborn and Discord Reborn show regardless every Wednesday from 5 to 6.30. Here on CITR. 101.9 FM. It's so nice.